This is Dan Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. In part of our work here at Emerge, we map the AI ecosystem of vendors and known investments of Fortune 500 firms in artificial intelligence. What's possible and what's working? What's happening in the real world? This is what clients ultimately pay for. This is the kind of competitive intelligence that a market research firm is expected to bring to bear. We have our own ways of doing it. Financial services is the biggest space for us in terms of research business and also in terms of coverage on Emerge.com. Any of you who have read our articles, if you type in finance, you type in fraud, uh, you basically can't get to the bottom of it, uh, given how much we've covered over the years in those domains. And what we like to talk about with our clients is not only where is the ROI, but where is the inevitability? In other words, where are the spaces where not just the vendors, but the subject matter experts agree that ML is inevitably the future. It is the only way to go in terms of what the next state of the art actually is. And when it comes to fraud and cybersecurity, Machine learning is the name of the game. There really is very little resistance to the idea that ML is going to have to be the backbone of security solutions in the future, and biometrics is part of that mix, and that's going to be the focus of this week's episode. Brett Baranek is the VP of Security and Biometrics at Nuance Communications. Nuance is a multi-billion dollar firm based here in Burlington, Massachusetts, uh, that focuses on natural language processing for transcription. That's often what they're known for, but they have a variety of artificial intelligence-related products, and the security and biometric space is one of the places they play. Uh, Brett has some rich experience in this domain and paints a picture of where biometrics fits the bill in terms of detecting fraud and security issues in finance, and what it's going to look like for biometrics to become a bigger and bigger deal uh, in the future moving forward. If you're listening to this episode and you're interested in more finance use cases, be sure to go check out our AI and Financial Services podcast. Very easy to find us on Apple Podcasts on SoundCloud, on Spotify, AI in Financial Services podcast, and subscribe there. If finance is an area that you want to follow and track, whether you're in finance or you just want to see what more one of the more mature enterprise sectors is doing in terms of new use cases every single month, subscribe to that podcast as well, in addition to AI in Business, and you'll get a double helping of our best of coverage in finance. So we, we admonish you to check out that show as well. But without further ado, let's go ahead and hop in. This is Brett with Nuance here on the AI in Business podcast. So, Brett, I want to start us off by just talking big picture about where artificial intelligence fits into the function of fraud in financial services broadly. When you think about where AI matters there, how do you like to describe it to business people? Yeah, I think all of us have experienced AI in in the banking space without really even knowing it. So whenever you've received a notification that your financial institution has detected fraud on your account, potentially on your credit card, there's a pretty good chance that there's AI at work. Uh, so what used to be uh, very simple rules that were programmed by the organization uh, have been transformed by AI engines that are really crunching a lot of data and analyzing what transactions are potentially fraudulent. And um, that has evolved into the application of AI into biometrics as well. And now this is not visible to the average consumer. Now AI is being used as well to detect fraudsters themselves. So not just detecting fraudulent transactions, but also detecting the human beings that are perpetrating those fraudulent transactions. Huh. So yeah, you had mentioned anybody who's sort of, you know, you interact with your credit card company, you're, you got a Visa card or an American Express. When you get those notifications, that's that's now machine learning. I think some of the folks who are tuned in will be aware that 
ML is kind of leveling up that old expert system pachinko machine that maybe used to be in place. But you're now talking about detecting the fraudsters themselves. What do you mean by that? What does it look like to find the person? And what are the implications for that in terms of actually reducing fraud? Yeah, so this has been really transformational for the fraud prevention teams because they've you know applied really sophisticated technology to preventing fraud transactions. But what the fraudster ends up doing is they just try again and again and again. And as long as the frauds are smart enough, they'll find some way to circumvent uh, these systems. And so the next step in fraud prevention is to actually identify the, the fraudster. And we can do that in a number of ways. And Nuance has really been the pioneer in this space by actually tracking the human characteristics. So in the case of uh, digital interactions, so think about a fraudster that's you know attacking your web account or a mobile app account we can actually track how they're interacting with that device and identify their human characteristics that way. Or if they're potentially calling into a contact center, we can leverage voice biometrics to identify them that way. And so it's really thinking about not analyzing the transaction itself, but the human being behind the transaction. Yeah. And you you could see uh, where all the AI ethics stuff sort of makes its way into the mix here. I'm sure there's takes there as well, but clearly there's business benefits too. It seems to me like there's a lot to consider here. Like you mentioned, if you're tracking the person, man, there's a lot of ways maybe they could disguise themselves or make their way in the front door. I I take it what would have to be done for this to work, you know, biometrics and voice, these are kind of different, uh, different kinds of applications is we would hypothetically, if we're talking about the use of, of a device, we'd have to somehow get access to that device, if it's a cell phone, are we looking at you know their gate or their location or something? If it's a laptop, are we looking at the order of applications that they use and open and how they move their mouse to know if it's them? I mean, these are kind of cybersecurity type applications, but if we're doing that on somebody else's computer, that it feels really hard to get that info. How do we actually get access to this stuff to be able to track it when it's their own darn iMac or something that they're using at home? <laughs> Yeah, very good question. So everything that you just mentioned is is spot on. And and basically, depending on the device that they're using, depending on how they're interacting with the financial institution, you know, different biometric technologies will be used to track the fraudster. So if we take the most typical use case, so think about a fraudster that is accessing a financial institution's website, you know, potentially acquire some uh, credentials off the dark web. Uh, so as they're inputting that data uh, through the website, that website is actually sending that interaction data to the organization. Now, that data has been used for many years uh, for you know basic e-commerce tracking, but organizations now have the ability to use biometric engines to actually track, well, who is the human being uh, that is clicking that mouse, that's typing away at a, at a keyboard, uh, or in the case of a smartphone, you know, how they're actually holding the device, and, and moving with the device, which which really gives us biometric data on that individual. Huh. So you're saying that someone who, let's say they log in, I mean, fraud could take a million forms. So I could imagine fraud means I'm sending a money transfer. Fraud could mean I'm purchasing something that I'm about to charge back so that I can get it for free. Fraud could mean I'm ordering a credit card, but I'm going to do so for nefarious purposes. I, I guess there's a lot of meanings there. Are you saying that it might be possible to take someone who we're seeing sort of programmatically open up a bajillion credit card accounts, maybe proxy what IP addresses is coming from or some other kind of device sort of tracking, and then somehow have some sort of tracking within the device that they've been doing that logging in and logging out from? Because because we've cookied them for, for our own website, then we could 
use that to sort of track their behavior on, on their own device? I guess I'm trying to imagine for the audience, what does this look like in, in action? You know, somebody hops on, they do X, and now all of a sudden, you know, they're on our radar, you know, cybersecurity wise. What's that flow look like? Correct. So the simplest way to think about it is that in, in legitimate consumer behavior, right, there's a human being that is interacting with, with the device, accessing a website or accessing a mobile app, and they're accessing one account. And you won't see that same human being access an additional five or 10 accounts within the next 15 minutes, right? That is uh, definitely not normal behavior. And so that's, that's what we would do is we really detect that the same human being is interacting with a number of different accounts in a short period of time and generate a, uh, an alert that this is potentially fraudulent behavior. And then what we can do is it's confirmed that that is really fraudulent, then put that individual's biometric profile on a watch list. And so if ever we catch that individual again, then we can generate an alert and, and stop that attempt from even, even taking place. Okay. Now you, okay. Now you also mentioned a, a, a different scenario, right? Which is you mentioned fraud can take many different forms. And so the other scenario is that you have a legitimate customer that is, you know, perpetrating fraud, right? So think, you mentioned one scenario where uh, somebody is making a purchase and then they're, you know, make a, a chargeback claim or potentially they're calling into their financial institution and they're claiming that their credit card got defrauded. But in reality, uh, they just don't want to pay their bill. Right. So so that's called first party fraud. And we can detect, again, using sophisticated AI technology, we can detect that a person is being deceitful based on how they're interacting with the organization. And so in, in that case, we're using biometric to validate that, yes, this is the correct customer. This is the correct individual. But you, we're using a different AI-powered algorithm to then determine there's deceit occurring on this interaction. And so you know, for the financial institution, the way that they're going to deal with that is quite different than, uh, than a fraudster that's, that's attacking multiple different accounts. Okay. So let's, let's think about that. You talk about this kind of internal, I mean, you know, the chargeback scenario has the name of friendly fraud. You're now using a term of first person fraud. Can you walk us through an individual real use case of that? And maybe what sorts of information in said interaction might be identified as, Hey, this person's making a flame, uh, a fraud claim that is in fact not likely to, to be real. And maybe there's something we should do about that. Well, what would that look like? Like, would this be insurance? You know, somebody calling in and saying, oh, my car caught on fire magically. Uh, is this someone saying, <laughs> is this someone saying, oh, I, I never purchased this, uh, you know, this fancy handbag from amazon.com to go to my house. I swear I never ordered it. Like what, what, what kind of first person fraud are you referring to? You got it. So, so those are the three key categories. So in retail, Right, individuals that have made a purchase uh, and then claim that they never received the good or they come up with some other excuse. Fundamentally, they don't want to pay for the good that they purchased. Yep. Insurance, making a false claim, uh, again, trying to get coverage for something uh, that they don't deserve coverage for. And in the, in the financial services industry, right, uh, think about calling into your bank and claiming that a transaction was fraudulent. When in in reality it was it was actually done by by the account holder. So those are the three key categories that we see, and what typically ends up happening is that that individual will call in to speak to to a customer care representative and, and claim that you know fraud has occurred or or claim an insurance claim uh, or or request a, a refund. And it's during that Q and A process that occurs between uh, the customer care agent and the um, uh, the legitimate account holder. 
that we're able to detect how the individual is responding to questions. Uh, and just like the good old lie detector from the 1950s that I'm sure some of your uh, listeners have, have seen in their youth in various TV shows and movies, right? This is, this is applying the same concept, except using AI uh, technology applied in real time. And we don't need to stick any probes into you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you <laughs> know really analyzing that response to, okay. to questions. Yeah. So, okay, we're able to kind of, I presume maybe this would be on the phone. You know, we ask question A, question B, question C, and there's maybe very predictable patterned ways of denying a credit card charge or very predictable patterned ways of um, making a fraudulent insurance claim. And, and obviously detecting claims, uh, fraudulent claims and insurance is going to be big. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you, given this uh, coronavirus sort of song and dance, I think that we should expect fraud to lift just like it did in 2008, right? I mean, insurance, you know, when people, people don't have money, you know, they're, they're going to, cars are going to catch on fire pretty magically and a lot of credit card transactions are going to happen without people volitionally doing it. So potentially there's more relevance here. What's interesting is <laughs> what you're articulating, Brett, safely fits in the category of stuff the vendors are allowed to talk about, but the financial institutions wouldn't, right? Can you imagine somebody from Geico coming on and saying that they actually use this stuff? Yeah, well, so I'm in a very interesting position where, uh, you know, I can speak in, a, in very general terms, right, about <laughs> yeah. how the technology yeah, is yeah. used in the industry. Uh, but here, here's the way that I, that I think about it. So unlike a number of other technologies, which, which really do pose a privacy threat to us as, as consumers and as citizens, uh, this is a technology that's, that's being used in, in a very narrow setting, right? So uh, think about, you know, an individual calling into their insurance company and, and making a claim. And it's really just analyzing that single interaction that you're having for a very brief period of time. So, you know, we, we can definitely have an existential debate about, you know, the privacy implications of that specific interaction. But we're far away from, you know, some of the tech giants that are monitoring yeah, 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 and and I'm not even making a moral judgment. I'm, I'm like, I'm really not. In fact, I'm, I think, more unpolitical about the vast majority of the stuff. I, I don't think many of my listeners really care what my political thoughts are. I think they want to know what they can enable in terms of, you know, impacting the bottom line. And, and ethics is part of the mix, but ultimately, it's the capabilities that that we serve with the podcast. But I, I'm just very well aware that Morgan Stanley or, or Geico wouldn't really be able to speak as freely as you can because you folks are more on the, the vendor side. Well, for them, they have to be worried about what their precise direct customers maybe think. But yeah, to your point, you know, this is more narrow. It's not like we're following somebody home and you know, watching everything they purchase or going beyond the outskirts of what this inter individual interaction is about. I'd like us to go into the other examples. You mentioned sort of first-person fraud. The other side of this would be this outside sort of fraudulent person who who actually is you know scraping up credit card information and, and making false purchases so they can sell them on the street. They actually are you know applying for services that they'll in some way abuse. How do we get some kind of cookies, some kind of tracking, some kind of biometric signature of that person if all they're doing is calling in? I guess we can record their voice, but all they're doing is they're hopping on our website. How do we know if it's them when they hop in from a new IP address every 0.5 seconds? Um, what, what does it look yeah. like to actually create a signature that we can use for preventative measures? Yeah, and 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 fraudsters have become really good at uh, cycling through IP addresses, cycling through devices. And so, you know, we've definitely heard about fraudsters that have stacks and stacks of 
you know, different laptops uh, so that any technology that would be tracking the device itself would, would be fooled. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's the thing. It's always the same human being, right? It's still the same human being behind each one of those different laptops, behind each one of those different IP addresses. And so think about as they're, uh, you know, typing on that keyboard or as they're moving the and clicking the mouse, that data, right, of those interactions is actually available through all browsers. And so it's, this is not difficult from a technical perspective to get to the data. The challenge really has been to build a robust biometric profile to be able with, with a couple of keystrokes and a, a couple of mouse movements to be able to identify a specific human being uh, with a high level of fidelity. And that's where, you know, the AI, you know, deep learning algorithms have, have really come into play. So when these technologies have started being developed back in the 1990s, conceptually, they made sense in, in the old world where you would be potentially typing out a dissertation in a word processor on a computer, right? And then, then that kind of data could be used to, to identify you. But in today's day and world, right, the interactions are very short, very quick, very little data is being ex- exchanged. And that's where AI came in and, and completely transformed our ability to catch fraudsters and, and build those by and identify them with very, very little data. Yeah. So, I mean, just kind of, uh, again, a little bit more tangibly here, understanding what it is that we're, we're tracking. You said it's the same human. So the person's got a stack of phones. They've got a stack of laptops. Are we talking about the way that they log in and move their mouse on the sign-up page? Are we talking about the impatient little circles that they draw that I know I do sometimes when something's loading? Um, you know, I'm just thinking about my own biometrics, and I'm not giving you any hints, Brett, because I know you're on to me. Um, but uh, but, yeah. uh, but no, yes, is exactly. it things like that? Is it things like that? That's exactly it. So, you know, it's, it's really, um, it can be really hard for us to conceive this because, you would assume that if you asked 100 people to type the word hello on a laptop, you'd assume that it would be quite similar. But actually, once you start looking at the cadence that people type with um, and, and just how they physically press you know, keys, it, there's incredible variability from one human being to the next. Yeah. And I'm glad that you actually mentioned the, you know, the mouse movements because we're, we're not utilitarian. We're not robots, right? And so... One would think, right, that if you need to press one button and then the next, right, you would take the most efficient path right between those two buttons and and move the mouse in a perfect line. And and the reality is that that's not really how it works, right? So we as human beings have all sorts of quirks, right, in in our movements and in our interactions. And those are the really the microscopic subtleties, right, that we're really looking at. and, And that's how we can identify somebody. Yeah, so pretty fascinating. And again, you know, when we think about a lot of our enterprise work when it comes to market research is in, you know, the bulk of it is in financial services. Fraud is such a low-hanging fruit use case for payments, for insurance. There's a lot of reasons for folks to to kind of get started with AI in this in this low-hanging fruit area because it's so measurable. And it's interesting to see biometrics adding this new layer and maybe this new way to start to detect fraud 
as a new kind of branch of capabilities. You know, th- there isn't that much of this there today, but obviously this is only going to become potentially more and more of the arms race between fraudsters and financial institutions that are trying to treat their customers right. When you think about the zeitgeist of where we're headed, you know, what does the world look like? Five years from now, the landscape of fraud has changed. The fraudsters themselves are more sophisticated. They have their own technology. And then the financial institutions, insurance firms, wealth management banks, they have their own technology as well. Where are we headed? Can you kind of help us close our eyes and see where the state of fraud is going to be with all these technologies developing? So I'm a firm believer that these AI-powered biometric technologies will become uh, commonplace and will be uh, used by organizations, not only financial institutions, but really any organization that that is operating in, in the digital world or you know, even that has a, a contact center, or even these technologies can be applied in, uh, in physical brick and mortar locations as well. So I, I do believe that they're going to become ubiquitous and that we're going to move away from, you know, traditional knowledge-based verification uh, for security purposes, you know, passwords, pins, security questions, and so forth. And so if we picture a world where that is indeed the case, then, you know, fraudsters will have no choice but to really focus on how to attack the biometrics themselves because cycling through laptops or cycling through IP addresses or downloading a database of usernames and passwords off the dark web will no longer be the key, right, to perform fraud. And so I think organizations will need to start focusing very much on how to use AI to fight against AI, right? So it's somewhat of a futuristic view, but I don't want to scare anybody, right? These these approaches are already in place and, you know, Nuance has been at the forefront of thinking about how to protect ourselves against future threats. And so, you know, the common way of referencing this in the industry is to talk about uh, developing anti-spoofing technologies, right? So detecting when a fraudster is uh, trying to spoof a biometric, right, uh, through various different means. So over the last couple of months, I'm sure most of your listeners have heard about uh, deep fakes. Definitely has sure, uh, yeah. a lot of coverage. And a lot of people have been thinking about the political implications and the social implications of deep fakes. And, and there definitely are many. I've been thinking very deeply about how these deep fakes are, are going to transform the, the fraud landscape. And although we haven't seen it just yet at any scale, I'm convinced that you know a couple of years from now, that will be a, a powerful tool for, for the fraud community. And so it's just imperative to forecast that and to prepare oneself for for the time when that becomes a reality. Do you believe, Brett, I guess, closing quote, so I, I'm also with you on the consequences of deep fakes. In fact, we presented at United Nations headquarters when they, they wanted to introduce the topic uh, at the UN in New York City. We, we, uh, we deep faked one of the directors of the United Nations and made her say a bunch of things she never said and put it in a very spooky video. People who Google beyond deep fakes emerge can actually see the video that we played at, at UN headquarters. But I, I am with you. I think that by the time this election cycle comes around, people will be far more aware of just how far along this technology has come in terms of deep fakes. I think the consequences are big. Do you suspect that even in biometrics, bad actors will use this to programmatically generate new ways to type the word hello, new ways to move a mouse on screen that become more and more challenging to detect? Do you even see it getting at uh, the generation of that kind of data to try to bypass in this in this arms race? Oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that that will uh, occur. The deep fakes that we've seen so far have been very much focused on video and audio. Yep. You know, Nuance has been at the forefront of detecting. All uh, right. It's the third time you said it. I know you're a vendor, Brett, but I got to call you up. 
I know you guys is an NLP company. Okay. It's all good, right? People, people who uh, who listen to the podcast know that I don't make this a pitch show. I got a ton of respect for you, but but regardless, yes, that's what you guys do. But you you think that we're going to be talking about programmatically generated stuff beyond just audio video? That this is going to expand into your world too? Oh, I, I, absolutely. I I have no doubts, and the reason for that is again, the fraudsters will always go to the place where they feel right there's a weakness, and if organizations haven't really thought about protecting right their biometric yeah. modality yeah. or biometric fraud prevention uh, tools uh, against this type of spoofing, then that will be the last remaining vulnerability, right? And so nice. it's definitely coming. And uh, I strongly recommend to all organizations that they need to plan for it today. Certainly. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, as much as I tease Brett here a little bit for, for being a vendor on the show, Brett, of course, I have plenty of respect for Nuance. We've interviewed your CTO. We interviewed folks at your AI lab out in, in the, the Bay Area. Lots of really interesting work. And I think you guys should see business booming after this election cycle when everybody realizes just how wild this programmatically generated data can get. So hopefully this has been a fun way to get this stuff on the radar for the audience. Brett, thanks so much for sharing your insights here about fraud. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Big thanks to Brett for being able to join us here on this episode, and thanks to you for listening and tuning in. If you like this show, be sure to follow us on social and stay abreast of everything that we're covering and creating in the months ahead. 2021 is going to be an excellent year for new content, finance, and otherwise here at Emerge. We're really starting to knuckle down to some of the enterprise AI priorities that we really want to focus on, and you're going to see that reflected in our Thursday episodes and in additional podcasts we'll be doing on top of that. So be sure to check us out at at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on Facebook or on LinkedIn and follow all of our latest articles, infographics, research coverage, interviews, and more. That's all for this episode. I'll catch you on the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast.